This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is uh, Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Where's the button? There it is. Dmitry Olof, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you. I say the trenches, um, generally speaking, metaphorically, but I suppose uh, relating to this conversation, it's uh, more literal. I suppose. I'm pretty far away from the trenches. A couple of <laughs> days' drive. <laughs> how, how many days' drive, actually? Um, two. I suppose I could do it in two days. I was just chatting a moment ago about uh, how the discourse has, has become so... Um, polarized and politically correct but before we chat about any of that stuff Dimitri what is your background? Um, I started out as a, a hardware engineer computer hardware engineer uh, then I went uh, on to do uh, uh, a lot of uh, design of uh, electronics for high energy physics experiments and then when that ran its course I went to grad school for linguistics uh, ran a translation agency for a while. Um, and then the internet thing erupted. This was, you know, 90s. Um, and I went into that, uh, worked on e-commerce, worked on um, um, online auctions, uh, internet security, various other things. And uh, then when I got completely fed up with corporate work, I decided to become a writer because I, I really, by that time, had something that I wanted to write about, which is the fact that the United States is traversing the same trajectory as the Soviet Union did with a delay. And the idea seemed rather outlandish at the time. I was something of a comedy act. And I must say that now, 15 years later, I'm no longer a comedy act. What are you now? Are you the... Are you I'm a, a tragedy story? act. I'm, I'm, <laughs> for all the wrong reasons or for all the right reasons? I have no idea. But basically, everything I uh, pr predicted is pretty much you know, materializing. Uh, I don't know whether to be happy about it or not. Yeah. I, I suppose I, I should be somewhat happy about it. Uh, I'm particularly happy that I got out of the United States on time. Um, yeah, what do, you mean I, by on, what do you mean by on time? It's going to be a very harsh place. Uh, it's going to lose a lot of its population. Um, it's, it's going to be just really really nasty and very few people will willingly go there what why um because the united states made all of the wrong decisions along the way uh it could have had a soft landing like the soviet union did but it looks like now it's going to have a hard landing um it um it pretended to be in charge of the entire world a little too long, and now the entire world is more or less laughing at it. And this is not so apparent in the English-speaking world or mm. in the European Union because they're basically, you know, American puppets there. Uh, but the rest of the world looks at the United States and thinks, how more incompetent can, can a country become? 
uh, how more deluded can its leaders become? How more of a joke can it, or you know, a sad joke can it can, can it make itself? It it's really a sad situation. Um, I, I can I can give you very specific examples of, mm. of why it's a sad situation. But in general, the downward trajectory is undeniable. When did all this start? When did this uh, this this collapse start? Oh, it started a long time ago. Basically, the Soviet collapse gave the U.S. a new lease on life. It gave it an extra thirty years. Um, the the USSR uh, before it's collapsed and it's it collapsed in its heyday. Uh, let's say in you know in the seventies and early eighties. It could have just pulled the plug on the United States. It could have just withheld cooperation and the United States would have collapsed. But uh, the Soviet leadership at the time thought that it couldn't really manage the entire planet on its own. And that dividing the planet into two halves, one managed by the USSR and the other managed by the USA, was an equitable arrangement. Well, mm. what they didn't realize was, was um, that the U.S. wanted the whole thing for itself and managed to get it. Um, and that delayed the American collapse by three decades. Uh, the action in, in the Ukraine went as follows. Um, the, uh, the Ukrainian army was massed on the, on, the, uh, on the borders of the de facto independent region in the east, ready to attack. Um, also, um, it turned out that uh, the Ukrainian government wanted to create some dirty nukes out of nuclear waste that it had from its various nuclear reactors and load them into uh, Soviet-era ballistic missiles and lob them in the direction of Russia, basically salting the earth with uh, high-level radioactive waste just because it wanted to, or at least it wanted to threaten to do that. And that would violate the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and various other treaties. But when the Ukrainian president voiced that idea at the Munich Security Conference, the various uh, luminaries from the European Union, uh, they, they weren't really upset about it, which seemed like a really strange thing. Um, but in fact, true. And then the other thing that uh, occurred uh, that wasn't really voiced at the time, but is now pretty much public information, is that there were uh, bioweapons laboratories on Ukrainian soil close to the Russian border that were developing pathogens direct, that directly uh, that were designed to target the population of the Ukraine and Russia. They're ethnically identical. Genetically, they're identical. But it was... Um, basically t targeting uh, Eastern Slavic population and was designed to be dispersed by migratory birds. So that, that information is now in the public domain and basically uh, comprises a large collection of criminal acts. So all of those things, the fact that the, Ukrainians, the, the Ukrainian military was about to uh, engage um, in, in wholesale slaughter uh, of, of civilian population. Uh, the fact that they were threatening nuclear destruction, 
uh, and the fact that there were bioweapons being developed meant that Russia, Russian leadership would be basically traitors if they didn't strike back and neutralize the threat. So now what they're doing is they're doing two things. One is they're neutralizing the Ukraine militarily. They're making sure that the Ukraine does not even have a military. And second is that there are these, um, there's this cult that uh, the Americans um, cultivated on the territory of, of Ukraine. It's a neo-Nazi cult based on uh, the history of Nazi collaborators of World War II. Uh, there were some people in the Ukraine during World War II that basically worked with Hitler and killed a lot of Poles and Jews, basically genocidal maniacs. Well, the Americans coddled and the Canadians coddled these people, re-injected them back into the Ukraine, gave them all kinds of money and uh, propped them up and, and uh, helped them become the dominant political force in the country. These people are basically a cult. They're a death cult. They're into human sacrifice. They don't leave their wounded behind. They shoot them in the head. Uh, they, they have been attacking maternity wards and hospitals full of patients. That was the thing that they, they did today. They also shot some missiles in, into um, a populous part of the city after um, doing some kind of a fake news thing over the, of, over the internet, trying to get people to gather there so that they could kill more people at once. And they were using uh, ballistic missiles that they... They happen to have loaded with um, uh, cluster munitions, which are, you know, using cluster munitions is an automatic war crime. Um, so these people have to be killed. Uh, and it's a kind of a difficult process, but it's similar to what Russia and Russia's allies did in Syria uh, about the, the Islamic caliphate or ISIS, whatever you want to call it. Um, that was also a, a U.S. Pentagon State Department cultivated death cult. Uh, they're dead now. So that is, that is going on. A lot of these people are going to be put on trial and shot. Uh, and a lot of them will uh, end their lives right on the battlefield because there's, there's nothing for them to look forward to except, of course, death. What, why are they called neo-Nazi? Is there a difference? Because they're not the original German Nazis, they're uh, sort of a, a, a knockoff. They're new in that sense, but they're basically, you know, they're Nazis. They they have uh, uh, the, their favorite slogan is Ukraine above all, uh, very much like uh, Deutschland über alles. Uh, they they get serious hard ons when they see swastikas and other. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Nazi swag. They, they love Nazi swag. They, they love the, the extended arm uh, Hitler salute, mm. which actually was invented by Americans. It was called the Bellamy salute before that. Uh, little American schoolchildren would use it when uh, pledging allegiance to the flag of the United States, but then Hitler ruined it. So now they have to put their hand on their chest when they recite the Pledge of Allegiance instead of doing this okay so um nazis are nazis it's like it's the duck test you know if it looks like a, t a duck it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it's a nazi duck but but, so, but what is meant by that because because nazis were 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 anti-semitic but Zelensky's jewish uh 
Zelensky started out as um, a, a Russian comedian, a comic. Uh, his native language is Russian. The fact that he's ethnically somewhat Jewish is irrelevant. Uh, but then uh, after he, and, and he ran on this peace campaign, peace with Russia, peace with their rebellious regions, etc. But then once he became president, um, he was explain, it was explained to him by his American minders, because, you know, the Ukraine is not an independent country, it's an American colony. But his American minders said that here, here are these neo-Nazis and you have to listen to them because otherwise they'll kill you. Um, so he learned to speak Ukrainian, he learned to act like a Nazi, and now he's kind of like a brainwashed maniac on drugs. <laughs> he's no longer so, funny. I'll, I'll, you know, that's, that's a telltale sign. He is no longer funny at all. Well, he's the tragedy that we were referring to at the beginning. I suppose, yeah. A couple of objectives. One of them was to demilitarize Ukraine, and the other was to denazify. Would you mind ex explaining what what exactly does denazify mean? Kill all the Nazis. Quite literally. Dead, as in, no longer moving. Do they genuinely pose a threat to Russia, or are they? Oh, I mean, yeah. Are they not? Are they not just a fringe group? Very huge French group, gigantic, given lavish support by the Pentagon, stuffed with weapons and special training, organized into, into groups uh, designed, trained to cause maximum mayhem and, and bloodshed. They're, they're as nasty as ISIS. They're pretty much the same thing as ISIS, except non-Muslim. Okay, so for the purposes of clarity, Vladimir Putin was justified in this action. Um, he was justified in this action. He had no choice. Uh, he, he would have had a, a gigantic political problem on his hands if he did nothing. Standing by while your people get slaughtered is uh, not really a winning strategy. Mm. Um and what he did was perfectly legal. That's the other thing that people are missing. No laws have been broken. Okay, would you mind explaining that? There, there is no uh, legally defined border between Russia and the Ukraine because the, the last Ukrainian president before Zelensky refused to extend the, the peace and cooperation treaty that defined that border. So the treaty lapsed and the border, poof, disappeared. Uh, nobody knows where Russia ends and the Ukraine begin, begins. So that's number one. Uh, <laughs> number two, any, uh, uh, any claim of sovereignty that uh, the Ukraine might have is, um, is negated by the fact that it doesn't uh, grant or safeguard the rights of all of its citizens. Basically, it oppresses the entire Russian-speaking majority of the country because these neo-Nazis that the Americans have installed are in charge. Mm. They're forcing everybody to speak this fake language called Ukrainian that somebody just came up with. Uh, you know, it's a concoction of various uh, village dialects with a bunch of Polish thrown in as flavoring. Um, 
but everybody is being forced to speak it. Everybody is being forced to, uh, quote unquote, blame Russia, you know, vilify Russia. That is absolutely a requirement. And at this point, they're pretty much shooting anyone who doesn't agree with them. So they, they have to be done away with. And the, the, the claim that there is some, some sort of sovereignty, first of all, the, the country is, was, until the Russians rolled in, managed by remote control by the Americans. And secondly, because it didn't really provide for the rights of its citizens, mm. it doesn't have any sovereignty under inter international law. It's not a legitimate state. Nobody wants to touch the, uh, the, the, the Russian army. You know, there are these NATO clowns that parade around and lose every single conflict they get involved with. And the only thing that they, they're good at is bombing from the air. That's it. But any time that they go into a country and train the local military and arm it to the teeth, um, the result is an absolute complete fiasco joke absolutely ridiculous it happened in afghanistan you saw how quickly the mm. the afghan army folded 80 billion dollars worth of weapons just basically abandoned um in uh uh in in 2008 the 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 war of 080808 that took place during the beijing olympics when mm. uh, um, the georgians decided to uh, start shelling Russian peacekeepers in, in a neighboring province that they thought was theirs. Um, that was also a, a, a U.S. and Israeli trained military, and in fo it folded in two days. Gee. It, oh. it folded like a cheap plastic folding chair. And we're observing something similar in the Ukraine now, which is much bigger, much better armed, has uh, a, a mighty military history of uh, helping uh, helping the Russians and the rest of the Soviet Union defeat Hitler. And it, it is a bit of a fighting force still, even though its weapons are obsolete and its, its morale is very, very low. Uh, most, most of the reason that it's still fighting is because there are the, these this Nazi scum embedded with uh, just about every every fighting group, every battalion has a few of them, and they will shoot people if they uh, don't fight. They 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 will shoot deserters. If it wasn't for that, most of the Ukrainian military would just basically you know wave the white flag, surrender. A lot of them are doing it anyway. I read an article recently um, that said that the CIA. Uh, was was closely involved with with Zelensky and of course the um, the neo Nazis. How true is that? It is very true. He he basically has some, well had probably I'm not sure about now because uh, the Americans basically turned and ran. Uh, you know because they're definitely Americans are definitely afraid of Russians. Uh, that was clear in in syria where the americans are sort of in syria but they're very afraid of getting in the russians way so they keep out of the way um but basically as soon as it became clear that there was a military action taking place all of the americans and all of the nato people just left immediately mm. why is there so much hatred dmitry between the ukrainians and the russians uh, there isn't any hatred. 
if if you look at you know these you know tank battalions running rolling into uh, or through as a matter as a matter of fact they don't stop um, Ukrainian towns most people are perfectly happy about you know being liberated from the Nazis uh, it's the same people you know it's it's not like the, there, there isn't really a crisp dividing line. Well, maybe in 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 western, in western Ukraine there is, uh, but in most of the rest of it, it's all the same people. They've been together for you know a thousand years. Uh, they speak the same language. Um, uh, the hatred is um, it, to the extent that it exists. It's the result of uh, brainwashing because the the propaganda. Yeah. was absolutely relentless. Why is, why is Russia such a threat to the West? Uh, because that is the crumbling edge of the American empire. Because Russia is th- that immovable object that, that uh, the West cannot do anything about. And it's absolutely objectly, objectly, abjectly dependent, <clears throat> dependent on Russia for keeping the lights on, keeping cars on the road, um, staying warm during the winter, because Russia is the treasure trove, the world's treasure trove of uh, all kinds of uh, energy and mineral resources. No microchip can be made without some components from Russia. Um, There is really no replacement for Russian oil or natural gas or enriched uranium or fertilizer. The list goes on and on. And, and so what happened now is um, all the sanctions were imposed on Russia that basically untied Russia's hands. So you look at uh, Western companies pulling out of Russia. Um, well, that's great because they, 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 uh, they're freeing up market niches that Russian companies can now occupy. And that means that the profits that left the country before um, are no longer leaving the country and can be reinvested in in the Russian economy. They're not feeding some foreigner somewhere. Um, Russia also spent a lot of money on intellectual property, patents, things like that, licensing fees for Western technology. These company companies pulled out, and immediately uh, the Russian government passed legislation. Uh, basically saying that, well, if you don't provide it, then uh, it's free. So Microsoft pulled out, which means nobody is going to in Russia is going to pay for Microsoft software anymore. They're just going to copy it, crack it, install it wherever they want, and never pay a license fee again. Um, Microsoft <laughs> isn't really welcome to come back in because who wants to pay them? And, so Microsoft loses. Yeah, and you know, car companies that assemble cars in Russia, well, those assembly plants are going to be nationalized and, and, and Russia is going to continue building those cars. And whereas previously uh, auto parts had to be imported because that, that is a, a, a major, major source of mm-hmm. revenue for foreign auto companies, um, the Russian companies can now 3D print those parts and, you know, never mind that they're you know, the lenses have a, you know, a designer copyright on them. You know, forget that. Does, so, this, does this also inadvertently create an interesting 
trading dynamic you know, and a geopolitical dynamic with uh, countries that are not Western? Uh, yes. Well, basically, everybody looks at that and says, um, Russia can do that. Could we have some sanctions, please? What do we have to do? Do we have to like fly to Washington and punch <laughs> Biden in the mouth? Could we get sanctions that way? Um, so that's going on. But then the other thing is, you know, Russia has stopped export of chemical fertilizer, but it'll probably provide it to its friends as a barter. So some country will sell it bananas and in exchange, it'll get some chemical fertilizer, that sort of thing. Who are the friends? Uh, oh, there's a long list of them. If you look at the map, um, you basically, um, you take out the EU and you take out Japan. No, maybe not entirely. The Japanese are vacillating. Uh, you maybe take out South Korea, although South Koreans are also vacillating. And you take out the entire English-speaking world, and uh, except for maybe countries like Barbados or something like that. Um, and, and then the rest of the world is basically on Russia's side. All of Africa, most of Asia, most of the Middle East, um, huge countries like China and, and India. Pakistan is a Russian ally. The Iran. list goes on and on. Iran. Mm. Um, so there's no shortage of friends. And the thing is that, you know, Americans never really abide by the deals they make. They, they always look for a way to weasel their way out of them. Whereas the Russians are known for, for being people of their word. They, when when a Russian makes a promise, it could it doesn't even have to be a you know a signed document, it can be a, a a verbal agreement, but the Russians will be damned to go, you know, go against their word, so they're easy to deal with and everybody trusts them. Does a, a collective like BRICS become more important now? I mean, South Africa, for example, is a member of that. Uh, BRICS served its function for a while. Uh, it, it was it was useful, um, uh, and then some parts of it uh, congealed into other organizations, and then other countries wanted to associate with BRICS. Uh, South Africa and, and Brazil are sort of on the outskirts of BRICS, uh, the way I see it. They're part of it, but there isn't that much going on. Mm. They're they're really it's it's not really gelling, but. Russia and China and and uh, and, and uh, India are very much a Eurasian core. They're they're interlinking. They're going to formulate a new strategy for a commodity-based currency that will supplant the euro and the dollar. Mm. Uh, they have trading relationships that uh, uh, make make Western sanctions an absolutely useless tool accomplishes nothing um, and and so uh, th there's a lot of international cooperation that's going on that that is basically leaving uh, the, the the West the collective West uh, behind uh, South but Africa is not really part of it but it's 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 part of the the anglo speaking zone so it's associated with it the countries that you mentioned are notoriously the commie the commie Eastern Bloc. We don't want that. We certainly don't want their influence in the future. 
Uh, well, now that capitalism has, has failed, uh, it's it's time to uh, look at what ha- what else works, and what what else works is Stalinism, not not political Stalinism, but economic Stalinism. That is basically what uh, what the Chinese built their entire industrial em- empire on top of. They they took the best that Stalinism had to offer and made it work within a, a, a pseudo market economy mixed with you know a huge government component. Russia is doing exactly the same thing. It went all free market under American tutelage in the 90s and then uh, in the knots discovered that uh, government involvement is absolutely necessary to make anything work in Russia. So all these giant projects that became government sponsored and made a huge difference. And now uh, that you know the the Russian stock market has plummeted, and all these Western um, uh, Western interests have headed for the door, uh, losing money like crazy because uh, of of the exchange rate um, mm. getting crashed. Um, on top of that, the government can just pick up companies, you know, pennies on the dollar, as it were. Um, and nationalize quite a bit of Russian industry and follow more in the footsteps of uh, of the Chinese, uh, probably achieve the same stunning success. Do you not fear the over-centralized control aspect of it, though? It's good for some things; it's bad for others. So, if uh, if you if you run uh, if if you over-centralized hairdressing salons, then that's probably not going to be very good for the quality of the hairdressing. <laughs> um, but if you completely centralize the entire nuclear industry, then you, you've done a great thing. Well, speaking of nuclear, um, the media is being overrun now with uh, 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 World War Three. World War Three. How realistic is that? It's not realistic at all because um, what's required to fight a nuclear war is having a winning strategy. Americans for the longest time tried to um, develop a strategy of a, a preemptive first strike, meaning you they, they would demolish Russia so completely that they would get nothing in return. Because even... Even if, let's say, you know, New, New York, uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, Washington, uh, a few other cities get taken out, the United States would never recover. And, and that's just like three rockets somehow getting through. But they never achieved it because um, they never developed... Um, a nuclear umbrella, a, you know, an anti-missile defense that was capable enough. And now Russians have developed hypersonic weapons that uh, uh, cannot be shot down at all by anything. Uh, so the U.S. would be defenseless against them. And and so the U.S. is not going to attack Russia. And, and the Russians have absolutely no reason to attack anyone with nuclear weapons because they can get everything they want peacefully, relatively peacefully. Is NATO slash US wanting to dethrone Putin, essentially? 
Of course they do. You know, that, that there's a, it, it reminds me of an old children's joke. Uh, um, children at the zoo ask the zookeeper, is it true that the hippo can, can uh, eat uh, 100 kilos of cabbage a day? And the zookeeper says, of, of course he can, but who's going to give it to him? Same thing here. <laughs> of course they want to dethrone <laughs> Putin, but who's going to let them? Uh, not the Russian people. Uh, so it's it's just it it's this futile dream that they have, I guess. You know, the, the man has seventy five percent approval rating in the middle of uh, a war, of course, which tends to boost the approval rating of anyone, especially if it's you know if the war is a cakewalk and, and they're winning easily. Um, but you know that that's just uh, you know a ridiculous thing that you know more important is what what does putin want to do with nato and i think putin wants nato to disappear how do you do that well there are any number of ways really uh one way to do it would be to uh have um some kind of a an, an accident happen um that affects a NATO member country in a way that makes other NATO members not want to have anything to do with it because they're cowards and they don't really care. And then NATO, next day, NATO would disappear because uh, their, their vaunted all for one, one for all strategy is suddenly shown to be nothing. And that they're going to do what they, they always do, which is cut and run. Um, and then NATO would be over and peace would break out and everything would be fine. Tensions would lessen. Yes, I get the impression that everything that I thought I knew about NATO and the West is completely inverted. I can't think of any examples where they've gone in and uh, left peace and a thriving, flourishing population. They destroy countries and then the Americans uh, move in and, and steal that country's gold and anything else they want to take. They mostly care about gold and, and oil. Those are the two things they care the most about. It works pretty well with gold. They got Libya's gold. They got, uh, 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 they got Iraq's gold. They, they got the Ukraine's gold. They, they basically flew in uh, a jet in the middle of the night and confiscated all of the Ukrainian gold. Um, and they're very, go uh, very gold hungry. The U.S. is a very gold hung hungry country and nobody knows what's really going on. But my, my hunch is that they've been quietly uh, selling the gold to, uh, to the Chinese who've been accumulating huge amounts of it as a way of keeping the Chinese from dumping all of this U.S. Uh, treasury debt on the market, which the Chinese will eventually do anyway. But yeah, it's, it's a way of yeah, that's forestalling gonna, the inevitable. Yeah, that's going to shoot themselves in the foot. What? Um, the Americans getting rid of their gold. Oh, yeah, but they have no choice uh, because if, if, they, if they lose the ability to, to just print dollars into existence and then spend mm -hmm. them on things they absolutely need, they won't get the things they absolutely need. So a very specific example that's going on right now is uh, the U.S. is uh, Biden has banned the import of Russian oil, 
Russian heavy oil. It used to get that heavy oil from Venezuela, but it had a, a bit of a, a misunderstanding there involving this idiot called Juan Guaido, if you remember, um, who is who was supposed to be the, the president apparent of Venezuela, but now he's just some guy in a one bedroom apartment somewhere. Um, so they, they sent a mission to Venezuela to try to get their oil. Uh, Venezuelan real president Maduro just sent them packing. But what they need that heavy oil for is, is to, make, to be able to make kerosene, jet fuel and, and, mm. and diesel, without which the United States as a country cannot operate at all. Uh, people would start. Would, people would starve without without that fuel. Uh, all of the oil that the U.S. produces, it produces a you know a stunning amount of oil, but it's all light oil. It's okay for making gasoline, but it's no use for making diesel. So ships, planes, uh, trucks don't run on on gasoline. And and now they're in a situation where they don't know where their diesel is going to come from. They don't know where to get that heavy oil because everybody pretty much just told them to. Yeah, there's an interesting irony here because the sanctions that America are placing onto Russia are backfiring. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically okay, no more cottage cheese for you. And and you know, cornflakes, yes, but no sugar frosting. You know, it's 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 really ridiculous how how reliant yeah sorry how reliant then i'm sorry i'm trying to figure out this 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 uh this uh what's the word i'm looking for uh interdependence relationship russia doesn't need the west but the west needs russia is that right that is right uh there are very few things that are critical that are imports from the west uh, pharmaceuticals. So the Russians are making strides in that direction. Certain machine tools, but uh, the way the entire uh, global industry works is there. There's a normally one source for one specific machine in order to make a very complicated process work. Mm. So embargoing that means you you deprive yourself as as a you know as opposed to whoever you are embargoing. So uh, uh, to give you a specific, well, what would be a good example? Um, there's, there's this undercladding that, that, that is used for all microprocessors that comes from, uh, comes from China, uh, this crystal that the Russians, are, the Russians make. So if the Russians embargo that, no, no more microchips anywhere in the world. And, and there are numerous examples like that. Mm. There's a, a Dutch uh, photolithography company that makes all of the photolithography equipment for all microchips everywhere. Um, so you can, you can use sanctions uh, to basically to destroy your own economy as well as everyone else's, but there's no way to use sanctions to just specifically destroy the Russian economy. That just doesn't work. So is Joe Biden playing a very bad game of 4D chess? Joe Biden does nothing except read from a teleprompter and try to remember as hard as he can what it is he's <laughs> supposed to say without pooping his pants. Um, yeah, he's, he's a sad guy. But the people behind him, 
uh, it's sort of like having a, a bunch of English majors try to uh, run a nuclear power station. That's that's my metaphor for it. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea. What is the sentiment like on the ground, brass tacks? Uh, the men are all just very patriotic and, and love this war. And uh, the women are, are all kind of in a tizzy and, and very nervous because uh, where are they going to get their French braziers and you know, and their Netflix. lipstick and, and, and their Netflix and various other bits that are very important to them? Uh, where are they going to set the, spend the, the summer vacation? That sort of thing. Uh, that's important to them. But the men are all just kind of, okay, well, big, big challenge, big opportunity, and lots to do. I mean, what do you see in the media there? What, what, what is reported there? Everything. Basically, play-by-play play of this war. So, for instance, today we got to see a bunch of dead bodies from the, the cluster munitions that exploded in downtown Donetsk. Corpses all over the place. And that's funny because I think you saw my conversation with Russell Bentley two weeks ago, who's in Donetsk fighting. Yes. Is what he's saying accurate? Because I have received a pile of messages, and I mean a lot of messages, saying, how can I have him on? He's just Russian propaganda. He's lying. He's not lying. I I, I watched, uh, okay, I'll have to confess, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched half of it. I didn't spot him lying once. Well, some people think that war is something you watch on television, and other people think that war is something you fight with tanks and mortars and and and, uh, and rockets. Sure. I tend to think that uh, just lying twenty four seven, it works. Okay, you basically keep a whole bunch of people entertained and completely confused. Um, very important to keep in mind that these people don't matter at all. They, you know, they don't live in a democracy. Their vote is just some artificial nonsense exercise. Um, and, and so keeping them misled, it doesn't really matter. It's much more important that, that the people in, in the Ukraine itself have been heavily brainwashed and it will take a long time. You know, never mind the, the Nazi cult members, they'll be dead, mm. okay? But, but the rest of the, you know, the population, the civilian population, will take a few years to overcome the psychological damage from being subjected to this constant stream of propaganda for eight years. Once they find out the truth, their little world is going to collapse, and they'll need to be psychologically rebuilt. They'll, they'll need some expert psycho psychologist involvement in order to bring bring their personalities back to 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 something reasonable um they'll go through all of the various stages of uh you know anger bargaining all the all the way to depression and then they, they'll have to re-emerge from that depression with 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 a slightly different worldview and perhaps even a slightly different personality so that, that, those are the ravages of propaganda on, on the yeah. actual population that is involved in this directly. Uh, just 
on that and by expansion, what in reality do you think um, is or was uh, Putin's relationship with Trump? Because I watched an interview with him yesterday and he he just shoots from the hip the whole time and he says this would never have happened if he was still president. Mm, I don't know. Um, Trump never really decided anything either. I mean, these U.S. presidents are, are figureheads. I, I keep telling people that, one, the U.S. is not a democracy, and two, it doesn't matter who is president. There's always a war. No matter who is president, there's always a war. Mm -hmm. Trump wasn't even taken seriously until he just lobbed, lobbed a bunch of Tomahawk missiles at Syria. The Syrians shot most of them down. Uh, and quite a lot of them turned out to be defective and fell in, just fell in the oath in, in the sea. Um, some of them, you know, hit some worthless target, but that doesn't really matter. You know, that matters to the Syrians and the Russians who watch yeah. this and say, uh, these people are a bunch of clowns. Um, but the Americans say, okay, our president actually attacked a country He's a real president. He's not just some some peacenik stooge. You know, he's a mm. real man who blows things up. <laughs> and 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 that is essential. That is that that is what it means to act presidential in the United States. And um, of course, it didn't help save us presidency because uh, of various other factors. Uh, but. But, uh, you know, every every U.S. president has to do that. Um, uh, it's um, not clear whether Biden has the latitude to do that anymore because the, the whole structure is becoming kind of unstuck and out of control and, and hopeless. Jeanette has a question for you. Uh, she wants to know, do you perceive Putin as a dictator? Uh, he has a collegian, collegial decision-making process. He, he has, um, he, he, he receives input from a, a large number of people and uh, he signs documents prepared by others. He doesn't draft documents himself. They tend to be extremely detailed. He's a very detailed, detailed operate, uh, detail oriented person. He gets into, you know, the, 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 uh, the minutia of, of many things, but he's just one person. And, and he's not, he's not a figurehead. He, he does provide a general sense of direction, but uh, to say that he dictates, um, I, I don't think that that would be the case. You know, uh, mm. Russia is a very big and complicated place and, and no one person can actually uh, determine that much about it. So he, he determines the general direction and, and the timing. He, he has very good timing. A dictator is a common Western term of abuse. It's, you know, uh, an unflattering appellation. Mm. Uh, and people, people don't even know what the word means. Mm. Um, mm. It, it was, oh, yes, uh, that's right. That's what I was saying. Yeah. It was an elected position in, in mm. the Roman Republic. Basically, in a crisis... Uh, you don't really want uh, the Senate to sit there and deliberate forever. You want somebody to make all the critical decisions quickly and efficiently. That yes. is done by electing a dictator who dictates what everyone should do. 
And then when the crisis is over, you can go back to your basic, lazy, deliberative uh, democratic process. Now, uh, in the middle of a war, of course, uh, we want everybody to do what the commander in chief tells them to do. So the commander in chief is, mm. by definition, a dictator. Yeah. So by that standard, Putin is a dictator, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, my feeling is that in the West, uh, the, these uh, quote-unquote dictators are actually figureheads uh, mm. that are um, manipulated by shadowy figures behind them. Uh, a lot of mm. a lot of what the manipulation that has occurred recently had to do with uh, uh, biomedical companies, big pharma. Mm who basically decided to use this not incredibly lethal virus to to steal a whole bunch of money and so they did yeah and and all of these politicians basically went along with that theft uh because they they were harassed and threatened mm. not not because it was their choice um so if that's dictatorship i i mm, not quite no that that's corruption of power by shadowy corporate interests. But dictator doesn't always mean something negative, surely. Well, no, in the best possible sense, it's 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 the Roman sense. It's the the yeah. elected leader who leads the nation out of a crisis. Yeah. Something you said in one of your blog posts, uh, which really resonated with me and it was actually very beautiful as well is that you said Russia's most powerful weapon is not um, a nuclear missile or its military but its values what do you mean by that well um, the ability of of the Russians to uh, appeal to uh, an innate sense of justice as opposed to some codex of of, uh, of laws is is very powerful um, because this sense of justice can be different for different groups, different nations, but they all have to uh, make compromises uh, and and recognize and understand each other, understand each other's differences. Uh, this is very different from the Western sort of uh, top-down imposed system of universal liberal values, uh, which. Uh, pretty much the entire planet is starting to really hate. Uh, and so that makes the entire Russian project incredibly appealing. The other thing is that, you know, um, uh, all of the West is uh, uh, in its current state, part of the legacy of Western imperialism. You know, it's a kind of a, um, even a stupid sounding thing to say, it's trite. But uh, Western imperialism is basically built on racism. It's the idea of that, that you know, these, these European masters will, um, you know, they, mm -hmm. have, they have the right to go and rob the entire uh, globe blind because they're superior. And everybody else is by definition inferior um, and has to know their place. I think Stephen Pinker uh, refers to them as the noble savages. Uh, yes, well, I don't really like Stephen Pinker, but um, um, uh, yeah, I suppose 
but but anyway, uh, this is very different from uh, mm -hmm. how the Russian Federation operates, which is basically a collection of over a hundred different nations, each with its Jeez. own history, Massive. language, tradition, all of them treating each other as equals, but understanding that uh, they can achieve greatness by coming together around this Russian core. And it's, it's a cultural core. It's not, it's not that there's this dominant tribe you know, it's it's very diffuse around the the edges with a huge amount of intermarriage. It's mostly centered on on language and culture, a, a common cultural code, and the code of the Russian army is part of that cultural code. It's uh, it's an army that never attacks anyone, but it oh, whenever it is threatened, it wins. Um, Does. Does Putin yearn for those good old days? Uh, I think most Russians do, so he's not very different from them. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the, the fantastic humiliation that, that uh, all of the people of the Soviet Union suffered during the, the 1990s, and some are suffering to this day. Uh, you know, some countries never recovered at all. Mm. Um, in, in some places, the situation is getting worse and worse continuously. Ukraine is one of them. Um, you know, people people do remember those days. And the funniest thing is that if you ask people, say, in the Ukraine, what do you think of the Soviet Union? The people who are the most in favor of the Soviet Union are the ones who are too young to have actually seen it for themselves. That's interesting. Imagine that. It appeals to young people and to old people. The people in the middle who actually had experience with it are sometimes quite equivocal about it because there were good times, good, good times and bad, uh, good elements and bad. But the young people see this as an age of, of glory that, that, uh, that they would like to see rekindled in some way. Do you think that the West's perpetuation of hyper-individualism has also been part of its downfall? Yes, I think so. Um, uh, I think that basically hyper-individualism uh, destroys families and, and uh, if, if families are destroyed, they don't bring up enough uh, happy, healthy children and then the entire society sort of deteriorates from there. You what basically... You basically have to uh, look at look at life as a sacrifice in favor of others, uh, and then others will sacrifice something, uh, in you know, for, for your sake, mm. and then you can achieve greatness. But each each separate individual is basically just a worm. Russia is very much about men being men and women being mm. women and children being above average. Um, and knowing who they are uh, from a young age and never wavering once. Uh, that, that seems like a normal Russian way to be. Um, yeah. And not just Russian. Uh, it, it, it is a, it's a human cultural universal to uh, dislike perversion. And um, 
The other thing is, and on this I defer to Camille Paglia, who is a lesbian and a feminist, um, who wrote an entire book, giant tome called Sexual Personae, in which she argues that um, all of this sort of sexual diversity is a symptom of a dying culture. Yeah. Lavishly documented with lots of examples throughout history. And so if you have a dying culture, then yeah, you're going to have this stuff. Um, there's nothing you can do about it. But it's just a symptom. It's sort of it's sort of like, well, if your heart is failing, then you have water accumulating in your lungs. You've said before that this is not an invasion, it's an incursion. Would you mind explaining that? Well, uh, I don't think Russia is going to militar militarily hold that, uh, hold that territory. The, the Russian army is sort of like the army ants that they have in the tropics. Mm. Um, you know, when the army ants arrive, what you have to do is, you know, take off and go camping for a day or go visit the neighbors because... What the ants do is they, they absolutely, you know, uh, will, will go through the entire house. They will eat all the dead animals hiding inside the walls. Uh, they, will, they will take care of all of, the, all of the dirt that's accumulated there, clean it out, eat it all, and then leave. And so that's what the, Rus the Russian army is doing in the Ukraine. It's basically cleaning out all of these Nazis. It is making sure that uh, the Ukraine will never pose a military threat. There are some, uh, some objects such as the nuclear power plants and various other very dangerous things, uh, Chernobyl, for instance, that, mm. it's, that it's never going to relinquish control of because nobody can be trusted to, to control things that are that dangerous. You know, these nuclear power plants are obsolete and they're going to remain dangerous for the next hundred years. Uh, somebody has to make sure that they're under tight control. Um, but the rest of the country is, it's rapidly depopulating. Uh, millions of refugees are flowing out. Uh, most of those people don't really care about the Ukraine very much. In fact, they've always been promised that they'd be part of Europe so leaving the Ukraine and going to Poland and Germany is the way for them to become part of Europe, and they're pretty happy about that. In fact, mm -hmm. they have an attitude that this is all ours anyway, because they've been brainwashed into thinking that you know, Ukraine is the greatest of all, and that they're a gift to the world. Um, and so they'll, they'll never come back to this destroyed place because they're not into heavy labor needed to rebuild it. They don't have any patriotic sense. They never, never had. Uh, they just had this cultish devotion to this phantom called the Ukraine. And so it'll be an empty place. It'll be an empty place. You know, there, there are countries that have corruption as a kind of a problem. And then there, there are countries of corruption. So uh, the United States is a good example of that. It's, it's not a corrupt system. It's a system of corruption because corruption mm. there is legal. Um, the Ukraine is a system of corruption. It is an entire system designed to uh, strip mine and rob the place to enrich a small number of people who then take their wealth and flee and buy mansions in in, in the surroundings of London. 
would you say that Russia is more peaceful and cohesive than than America? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Why is it is it just cultural or is it is it because of fear or or something else? Well, the Americans are extremely afraid as a people. They are afraid to let their children play outside unattended. They are they're afraid of their neighbors. They're afraid of getting shot by their neighbors. Um, they're afraid of a, you know, a stupid car accident uh, escalating into an altercation leading to gunfire. Um, they're, they're afraid of, of their tax, of their internal revenue service, who, who, which could just like steal everything from them. Um, they're, they're just endlessly afraid of everything. They, they live through life in trepidation. Uh, the Russians don't have that. They, they, they're pretty comfortable with themselves and their surroundings and each other. Um, you know, it's a very peaceful place. Uh, you know, I, I have a, a, a 12-year-old niece who, who can walk through the center of town alone in the evening. Uh, there's no chance. And this is a, five, a town of 5 million people. There's no chance of her getting assaulted or anything like that. Um, you know, things like that used to happen, but now everything's under control and, and it's all very peaceful and prosperous and, and happy. Um, the Russian response is not going to be called sanctions because sanctions are illegal and Russia doesn't do anything illegal. Sanctions have to be imposed by the, U by the UN Security Council. Um, what, so what the, U the EU and the US and various other countries are doing right now is blatantly illegal. Russia won't go along with that, but it will take various steps to, to protect itself. So for instance, it has already taken the step of uh, temporarily holding uh, uh, fertilizer exports. Mm. So expect the people who are not terribly kind to Russia and say bad things about it to go hungry. Whereas people who are friendly toward Russia will not go hungry. Um, Russia has already said that it will uh, also limit exports of various other strategic materials mm. if, if their access to products made with those strategic materials are limited. So, for instance, their cut off, uh, their access to Boeings and Airbuses. Is, is being cut off. Now, this is not a significant thing yet because uh, Russia is building its own aircraft. So it could be actually a good thing, uh, but it could cut off titanium exports, which would uh, kill two thirds of Airbus and one half of Boeing. Um, there, there's, a, a t there's talk of sanctions uh, 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 that would limit Russia's ability to buy uh, uh, microprocessors, microchips. Mm, Most yeah. of those are made in Taiwan, which is, uh, um, you know, traditionally Chinese territory, no matter what anyone says. And I don't think the Taiwanese would really want to upset the Chinese at this point. So I, I think that that will be soft pedaled and, and nothing will happen. But um, if, if, um, if that 
situation escalated, then Russia could limit exports of various uh, various materials that are essential for all manufacturing of all semiconductors and all semiconductor manufacturing would cease. Um, Russia is responsible for uh, a lot of the nuclear fuel that the United States uses to keep the lights on. So they could just basically say, well, we're temporarily halting uh, the export of uh, enriched uranium to the United States. And the result would be absolute mayhem in the energy market in the United States. It would just completely wreck you know, the electricity market. Uh, because there's no way to keep the lights on without uh, Russian enriched uranium. French, the French are in the same boat. So the French know that, uh, you know, if Russia stopped exporting enriched uranium to them, uh, they're, they're very much screwed. If there were a world war, though, would Russia come out on top? Well, there is already a, a world war, but it's sort of a, a, a lazy world war based on, on various proxy arrangements and, and um, mm. you know, little bits of malfeasance here and there and little terrorist plots. And mm. um, the, the, there was this massive encroachment happening with the Ukraine, NATO weaponizing mm. the Ukraine as a, as a sort of, sort of anti-Russia brainwashing the people there and telling them to go and charge. Uh, but that has been uh, very delicately prevented with this uh, ongoing Russian action. And uh, we know what the result is. That mission is very well described and, and it's proceeding apace according to plan. What is Putin's exit strategy? He doesn't need an exit strategy. Ukraine is traditionally part of Russia. So the only thing to be worked out is to what extent it's going to be associated with Russia. Uh, first requirement is that uh, uh, the entire territory of, of the Ukraine is going to be militarily neutral and, and uh, demilitarized. So all of that Soviet era war uh, material uh, that it had is being blown up and confiscated. Uh, so the Ukraine is going to have, uh, you know, small arms, you know, everything needed for local police action, but it mm. will never be able to threaten Russia. Second, it has to be denazified. So all of these war criminals have to be round up, rounded up and, and put on trial and probably shot. Probably, you know, Russia has a moratorium on, on, on death sentences, on executions. But uh, Donetsk doesn't, so they could be put on trial in Donetsk and, and shot. Um, I would probably volunteer for that detail. Uh, shooting Nazis, that would be cool. Um, you can join Russell. Yeah, yeah, no, me and Russell are, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll pull the trigger. Um, but um, yeah, so that, that's requirement number two. and. Probably the third requirement is a fuzzy one, which is uh, self-determination. Let the people of the Ukraine find out how they want to be governed and how they want to work together or not. You have to keep in mind that, you know, basically these Ukrainian regions, uh, uh, getting them to cooperate is rather tricky because they, they all want to go their separate ways. They're, 
It's very much unlike Russia because the place is very balkanized. Mm. Govern the governing regions, the, the 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 neighboring regions, they might be indistinguishable from each other to, you know, from from an an outsider's point of view. But the locals, they don't like each other. They don't trust each other. They have a thousand year history of of not trusting each other, and they're not about to break that pattern. So um, the best situation there is a loose confederacy. If the media is anything to go by, the Russians are just killing civilians everywhere and it's just hospitals going down and, and it's a disaster. That's all lies. The, the Russians, they, um, the only time they, uh, they attack um, anything having to do with civilians is when the Nazis hold up in there. So the, uh, the Russians did destroy uh, uh, a maternity ward but there were no women in it. There were zero women there because the Nazis went in there. They pushed all the women, all the pregnant women out. And all the women who just had just given birth. They basically told them to get out of there. And then they hold, hold up in there and, and started taking pot shots at the Russians from there. Trying to draw fire on themselves in order to present this particular picture for Western news coverage, because that's important. Which is exactly, yeah, and that's, and that's what happened. We saw photographs of uh, women running out of the hospital carrying their babies. That woman is a, as a, is a, a beauty blogger. Yes. Her, her name was photoshopped in there. That's a deep <laughs> fake. <laughs> wow. You know, this propaganda war is something else, isn't it? I don't know. Um, well, there's only one way to end it. And it's, it's a ploy called, hey, look, there's a squirrel. They'll have to come up with something for everybody to rush over and look because everybody's tired of this Ukraine nonsense and still can't find the knot on a, on a map. And, um, y you know, it's just old and tedious. So there's got to be something else. There, there's got to be like a baby down a well or something that they can concentrate in for a fortnight. In front of you, there's a crystal ball. What do you see? I see a little house, and when you shake the crystal ball, there's a bunch of snow. <laughs> that, that that's the most literal the most literal answer yet <laughs> well it's my house i just bought one and there's a lot of snow there because it's up north <laughs> by the way what's the weather like right now uh it's actually incredibly warm it's it's like plus three celsius where can people follow you well um the the easiest probably way to um to find me is by typing in cluborlov.com into your browser. Um, there are a few more clicks to follow after that to find what I'm actually doing. And it involves paying a little bit of money because I hide behind a paywall. Uh, the information that I put out is basically, um, because it's controversial, I offer it as a commercial offering between mm -hmm. consenting adults. So, 
there, there isn't what is, there, there isn't really any way to attack me on that. I don't even know what controversial means anymore. It's anything that isn't uh, part of the establishment. Uh, controversial is anything that gets people screaming at you and making death threats. That's my definition. I've, I've had a lot enough. of that, so life is better without that. And, and getting people to pay a little bit of money is a really good way of to, to, to just get rid of all of that. Once somebody has paid you a little bit, they're much more polite. Dimitri Olof, thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.